Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about. time for Mortgage Matters. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. So glad to be here this fine, fine summer day. Another live episode of Mortgage Matters. Just getting settled in here. Bear with me, please. I did have a headphone mishap, Jim. I know you're over there just laughing at me because it's like 50% of the time I walk in here and I can't even get my own headphones to work. It's okay. Still learning how, my, learning how to use my new gadget. That's why we have these $10 Radio Shack headphones. Yeah, and believe me, I can hear the, hear the quality difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'm Dan Podesto, and uh, my usual sidekick, Jason, is not here, so we've brought in the big guns today. Uh oh. <laughs> that voice you hear, that's Will Barnaby. He's a he's a Central Coast Lending staple. He's the manager of our Paso Robles branch. And uh he's here joining me on a Saturday. Thanks a lot. No worries. Good to see you. It's been a while since we've had you on the radio show. Um you you make an appearance every now and then. Yeah, it's been a I I don't know. A few months? A few months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Six least. months maybe. What's uh, what's new in your world since the last time we spoke on oh, air? Oh, man. My son graduated high school. That's kind of a big blow. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. Nothing makes you feel old like your kid's getting, you know, grown. It's a little weird. So that that's happened. Uh, you know, my daughter's getting a little bit older, and, you know, things have been moving along. But uh, the events of this year are pretty much stuck around college and the kid graduating and, you know, those types of activities. Just came back from Mexico last weekend. That was a good time. Cool. Good times. He's uh, So your son's off to college. Where's he going to college? Um, he's going to uh, San Jose, uh-huh. um, biomedical engineering. Cool. So while San Jose may not be his favorite place to want to live, that school's in close proximity to places that might actually hire him someday. Yeah. Yeah, and they participate in the program. So it's, it's going to be good. Good fun. Nice. Good to see him. But yeah, born and raised, well, not born, but predominantly raised, came here when he was an infant and has lived in Paso his entire life. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. He'll be coming back on weekends to do his laundry and oh, I'm sure. you know, get some good yeah. home-cooked meals. I'm sure. Dorm I'm sure. food's not that good. He's not going to stay away that long. Yeah, we, we visited <laughs> the cafeteria, I got to tell you. I don't know. don't know. It looked a lot better than when I was in school, though. I'll tell you that. It looked a whole lot better. So how was your Father's Day? Father's Day was good. I spent that uh, on a cruise ship, which was uh, nice. With or without the kids? Uh, with my son. With, with my your son. son. Yeah, we took him on, uh, took him and five of his buddies. Wow. Yeah, down to uh, Ensenada on a little three-day cruise thing. Nice. Yeah, it was Did good you, which, which ship were you on? Oh, heck if I know. Uh, Carnival? Okay. I don't know which one it was. It was an older boat. Okay. Those but, are always fun. Uh, it was That's good fun. times. Good times. And we bought him the uh, the masked wrestling thing. Was that Luchadores things? Okay. You should see the personality change when someone puts one of those masks on. It's, uh, it's a lot more bold. 
oh yeah yeah and i was like no no i'm good i'm good and finally i had to break down and get one of my own and uh yeah <laughs> and then all of a sudden you felt yourself oh changed. yeah it was it was it's good clean fun i gotta tell you you might think it's silly one day put one on next thing you know you'll be jumping around like spider-man it's yeah. it's it's good stuff uh fun good stuff well oh, we're glad to have time. you here today um a little bit later in the show, for the second hour of the show, we're going to be joined by, uh, we're going to have a guest on. We're going to be joined by Susie Brands. She's a realist, realtor. Um, based, her business is based in San Luis Obispo, although she works all over the county. I had the opportunity to sit down with her yesterday, and she's quite an energetic young lady. I think you're going to really enjoy her as a guest. Um, so that'll be the second hour of our show. Don't mind me as I try to figure out how to charge <laughs> my headphones. <laughs> Well, look at this. Look at the multitasking. I'm, I'm working working cords and the microphone all at the same time. I'm impressing <laughs> myself right now. All right. We've got business to attend to, so let's get down to I'm it. plug in your headphones for you. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, awesome. Little plug right over here. There we go. All right. Here we go. Now on with <laughs> the show. And away we go. For any... <laughs> For those of you who've managed to stick around for 10 minutes after listening to a probably much more entertaining Motormouth show, thanks for sticking with us. Now the fun really begins. Um, we have a little bit of news to cover. We didn't do a show last week because um, we took Father's Day off, or Father's Day weekend, I should say, off, and, uh, and enjoyed it with our families. Um, so there's a couple weeks of news to cover. Uh, probably the biggest event in the last two weeks was the, was the Fed... Um, Fed meeting and and press conference that yeah. came after that. Were you were you able to catch that? I caught parts of it, but the phone kept ringing, which it tends to do at those times. <laughs> I really felt like leading up to it, um, I had some expectations mm -hmm. I, that really there wasn't going to be much change. Um, but I was really shocked to walk in that morning into the office and turn on CNBC, as is my morning ritual, catch up with the you know the financial market news and it it felt as if a big event was unfolding that day bigger than a usual fed meeting it it felt like um like a, a special media event was occurring like they were anticipating it, it was it was known it was agendized that that was the day that the rate hike announcement was going to occur and it really caught me off guard and then i started to panic like what did i not hear that obviously the rest of the world knows it Definitely made me nervous. I'm with you. I'm with you. So, but at the end of the day, no changes were made. And in fact, I was, my beliefs prior to the meeting were actually reconfirmed um, upon hearing Janet Yellen give her testimony. Um, I, I thought that she made me believe that September might even be unlikely for a rate hike and that December is more likely. I kind of got the same feeling. I think that... Uh Prior to going into that, they were a little bit more hawkish, and they backed off of it a bit. But, you know, the markets and everybody around, they're definitely – they're acting like a uh, a young lady that's waiting for a proposal. Like every dinner date, is it is this the one? Is this going to be the one right now? You know, they, they get a little amped up, and it's amazing how much the market moves on – you know, just anticipation of these things. And it's been very volatile the last several weeks. Oh, up and down. I mean, a 10 basis point move, I don't know how many times it's happened, but it's happened a lot. Yeah. You know. So in the last couple of weeks, we've seen the 10-year note yield as high as 2.5%. Pretty close. And it's it's 
you know, it's gone back down to the probably the low in the last two weeks is about two and a quarter percent. Yeah, um, that's where it started this week, and at the end of the week, it ended around two four, I think. 2.4? Yesterday, at some point, I think it touched 2.47. Okay, so yeah. this week was a was an upward-trending week for rates. Last week was a downward-trending week. Um, it's it's really mixed. Um, but we do know that, that rates are, for most conventional programs, are over 4%. Yes. 4% or higher, I should say, um, depending on your situation, your credit, that kind of thing. For 30 years. For right? a 30-year yeah. uh, loan term. And that's higher than it was in the springtime. Yes. So is it safe to say that the markets have already anticipated a Fed rate hike whenever it's going to occur and it's priced into the market now? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. The rise before both of the, the last two Fed meetings, you know, they were anticipating that something was going to occur. But it seems that every time they start to feel really good, something happens where maybe they're not going to ra you know, raise the rates quite as soon as they think. And there's a lot of quantitative easing going on overseas, which makes it a little bit more difficult. And I know they got a lot of pressure too from the European Union. And yeah, didn't it was Christine Lagarde? Is that her name? She came out and basically said, "Don't raise rates, U.S. Don't do it this year." Yes, yes, yes. And you know, or she's with the uh, Monetary Fund, yeah. International Monetary Fund. Yeah, I have a I have a tough time. Remembering she was all the, the, names from the European French, Union. the French um, banking. Guru. top person whatever that yeah, their title yeah. is but you know it, there's a point there i mean if, if everybody else is doing what we did years ago and doing it heavily it makes it a little bit more difficult i mean the, the value of the dollar definitely has been up and down and crazy as well and you know that's just a reflection of what's going on here and there and uh you know as the dollar gets higher it's harder to compete on the world economy so when do you believe the fed will be making the bold announcement I don't know. I'm I'm afraid to predict. I mean, if you'd talked to me a few weeks ago, I'd have said September's likely to happen. It just feels like there's a lot of political pressure for that to occur. More um, importantly, how do you think the 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 markets and in particular the interest rate, the mortgage markets will react when the rate hike occurs? Do you think we'll see a, a big jump or do you think that jump has already occurred? Well, I think to an extent the jump has occurred. I think that it'll happen for a short period of time. It might spike, but then I think it'll settle back down. I mean, they're they're gonna get into uh, if raising rates were like getting into a pool, they're gonna do it a toe at a time. They're not. I don't think it's gonna be off to the races. They're not gonna do a cannonball into the deep end. They're gonna, you know, yeah, I, get in real slow. I'm I'm in the same camp. I believe it will be slow and steady. Um, and yeah, they want to see. They're they're gonna they're gonna test one out. See how it goes for a while. Yeah. See how how economic activity. I mean, we're coming off of a a quarter of negative growth. So. Yeah, we're coming off of a quarter of negative growth. There's a lot of weird stuff going on around the world. And, you know, even the terrorist stuff that's happening at this point is is going to have an effect, particularly if they, you know, eventually attack some economic system, which obviously we hope they don't. But, you know, it seems like uh, there's some acceleration in that stuff. So we'll see what happens with that. So the the Federal Open Market Committee, they met two Wednesdays ago, and they, in the statement, um, they said that for the rate hike to happen, they are looking for further improvement in the labor market, which in my opinion is pretty darn strong right now. Well, maybe not strong, but it's it's definitely... Strengthening. A, yeah, it's strengthening, and, it, and the numbers all support um, healthy uh, 
uh, uh, some some level of reasonable health in the jobs market. Both the unemployment rate and the the jobless claims, the weekly jobless claims that are being reported, as well as monthly hires. All those figures are in the healthy range for a, a jobs market. Um, but they're still looking for a little more improvement, and they need to be reasonably confident that inflation will move back to its 2% target um, in the medium term. And let's see here. They also went on to say that the U.S. economy has solid underlying momentum and is strong enough to withstand the first rate hike in nine years in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, which I believe is true. I believe is true. It just... For me, the part that's somewhat questionable is how's it's going to how it's going to affect the rest of the world, and then how that in turn is going to come back and affect us. Um, we don't live in a an isolated world anymore, you know. And and I, with everybody going the other direction, us starting to raise rates, we'll see what happens with that. I think that that might be a bit more problematic than most people think. For rates, I don't know that, you know, the initial rate hike is going to do a whole lot. I mean, we're coming off of historical lows. Undoubtedly, over the long term, they're going to go up. You know, the question is how quickly they're going to go up. If they're going to sell securities, there has to be a yield. You know, the yield's made up by the rate. So undoubtedly, over the time, over a longer period of time, they've got to get more people interested in investing money, and they have to make money in order to want to do that. So we'll see what happens, but I don't know. I don't like I said. I don't see it spiking. I see it going up pretty slowly, pretty gradually. Yeah. In fact, this week I heard um, I heard some of the the talking heads discussing that that perhaps the markets are have already priced in and moved beyond that first rate hike, and they're already anticipating a second rate hike. When will that occur? You know that that's kind of what the market. That's where you're seeing the volatility in the markets right now is is anticipating when the the second increase will occur will will they wait three months six months you know how long will it be and i think that that that's actually going to be more of a telltale i think than that's the the bigger unknown i mean it's been made pretty clear even with this in the not too distant future that to me says probably this year yeah it's going to happen at some point relatively soon but the second one the second one's going to give us a clue as to the pace yeah well you know and it's going to give you a it's going to give you some sort of uh, guidance to the effect of the rate hike like what's going to happen yeah you know and early on i think you know it might be a bit spastic you know the market's been moving a lot for years now on you know emotion what people perceive is something that's going to happen and and not necessarily as much just flat data yeah yeah it's been there's there's been a lot of artificial influences in the market so um it will be it will be interesting to see how markets react to getting back to the normal the normal influences being the only influences on markets. Uh, it's going to be a fun ride. Well, it's going to be a ride. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how fun it'll be. <laughs> hey, we're at the the 20-minute mark here of the hour, so it's time to time to take our first break and uh, we're going to regroup. Maybe my headphones are charged already. I don't know how fast they work. We're going to check that out, but we'll be back with uh, more Mortgage Matters after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. 
We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. Our loans are not trucked in from some big bank. They're raised right here on the Central Coast. No hormones, no GMOs, no antibiotics. Call today and get your gluten-free mortgage from a caring lender that knows you only accept the best for your family. Just call Central Coast Lending. Just call 543 Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328-358. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Oh, that's right, Jim. What a great reminder that next weekend is the 4th of July. Next Saturday, week from today, is the 4th of July. And uh, that means that we won't be here. Of course, we're going to be spending the holiday with our friends and family, and I uh, hope that you do the same. We're going to pick out a nice, fantastic rerun, though, to run. We are. And it could be this show. It, I mean, it all depends on how, how this goes. Mm-hmm. So far, so good. Yeah, it's working yeah. out. This could be the one. Um, let's see here. There's a couple of other interesting bits of news this this past week. Um, housing related here. We had existing home sales come out. They increased a little over 5% in May. And it was the highest number of existing homes sold in one month since November of 2009. Hmm. Which that was like the thick of, of you know... There were tax credits, and weren't, wasn't there all kinds of stimulus going on in 2009 to try to eat up the uh, the foreclosed and short-sold inventory of homes? Yeah, they were definitely making some effort to make those things happen. I'm somewhat curious. I Well, you got to think that there's far more people that are buying those as actual residents this time. Yeah, oh, I, I would definitely believe so. Whereas back in 2009, there was a lot of 
investors and flippers and you know all all kinds of opportunists uh, getting in on the market then i believe so i think a lot of those houses that were bought in 2009 maybe some of the ones that were sold <laughs> this now. past month yeah um let's see here yeah and in fact uh confirmed here later in this little article um much of the gain in in existing home sales came from the first-time home buyer community um, so that's good news. These buyers, the first-time home buyers, accounted for 32% of all sales in May, which was up from 30% in April, and uh, the largest first-time home buyer contribution to that metric since late 2012. So that's good that the first-time home buyers are are making up their fair share of of sales. It could go even higher. That wouldn't bother me at all. Um, all cash sales accounted for about a quarter of the transactions for a third straight month. And investors um, purchasing existing homes was around 14%. Yeah. Yeah. That Sounds seems like right. a good, it seems, that seems like a, a healthier mix than what we've had. Yeah. You know, in the past. I mean, the first time home buyers have definitely been sluggish. Yeah. It seemed like first time home buyers were maybe as low as a quarter of, of buyers, which, which is pretty low. Yeah. Now, I'm somewhat curious. Well, I don't know that we can even figure this out, but I'd like to see the data for the local area. Um, you know, a lot of the, the lower priced homes don't seem to be on the market at the moment, at least up in the North County. I, mean, I don't know if that's the case elsewhere, but a little curious to see what what our mix was here in, in Slow County. Yeah, that would be interesting to see how we we differ because these, these numbers that I'm sharing our national numbers and and we all know that each each individual market has has some differences ours yeah, is a sure. very unique market the prices are a lot higher um just a different different economic opportunity here as far as jobs and things like that Le you know so definitely would be interesting to see that yeah. i don't know if we can get those figures mm. um let's see here i do have some more home sales stats though for new home sales new home sales were were higher, they were at their highest level in seven years. 546,000 new homes sold in May. That's a good number. That's a really good number. I gotta believe 546 was the annual pace. Is it really 546,000 in that month alone? Wow. Anyway. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Of course, that would mean that construction spending's up and all that stuff. And we've so seen those numbers too. move higher as well. And mm -hmm. so we're seeing good activity in homes. Notice that was one of the statements that was missing from the Fed's statement. They talked about a little more stability in jobs and confidence that inflation will return to its 2% target. What they didn't say was anything about housing. No. Which had been a, a mainstay in their in their yeah their policy statements over the last five six seven years, and that's not something they've been talking about for the last couple of meetings. No, it hasn't. I mean, obviously things have improved a little bit in that arena, but you would think that they would, uh, you know, want to mention that to some extent. But there's a lot of pressure from people for them to kind of not focus on the housing market. I think. I think. Um, a lot of people feel like that was used as an economic or a, a financial growth center, mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily want to push that anymore. Though, obviously, real estate's always going to be an economic growth center. So I talk about real estate and finance a lot 
whether it's at work or not. It's kind of a well. I just saw you had a, a conversation problem. with yourself. There it was kind of did I kind of yeah. Well, on the new home sales, it was yeah, a little, a little, I did a little. I do. I do that argument too. Yeah, I, did. I just sat back and watched that. It yeah. was kind of neat. It happens. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you should catch me at my desk some days. <laughs> One thing I like to say, and you guys might actually be writing mortgages for these homes, but I don't know that. But um, there are some uh, neighborhoods in Pismo Beach that were all the streets were put in and all the infrastructure was put in. And then we had the construction crash and the real estate crash. And, and now they're actually going back and building out the houses there. So the infrastructure, you know, the city doesn't have all the streets and stuff that they actually have to maintain and pay for. There's actually, you know, without houses being there, there's actually houses being built on the streets that were already put in and stuff. And it's, so it's kind of nice to see some of these things that started being completed now. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing that all over the county. There's um, there's a lot of, of projects that were half built. You saw like a foundation pad poured or something like that. And now, um, you know, they've made their way through the process, whether it was the original owner who actually held on to the property or whether someone picked it up through some kind of uh, distressed sale type of arrangement. But yeah, we, we are seeing those um, abandoned projects getting picked up and completed and seeing a lot of infill too. I know in my neighborhood, there's quite a bit of infill development going on, just a little single house here and there. Yeah, yeah. And in Paso, a lot of those neighborhoods are starting to pick up. The only ones that I see that still seem to be sitting with no activity are the commercial ones. The residential ones, though, definitely seem to be picking up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say was um, I got into a couple of very interesting conversation they were, i found them very interesting with with some folks outside of work and they were really questioning whether it was smart to buy real estate in this current market with prices as high as they were returning to near the the peak highs and whether or not this was an overheated market and i found it to be kind of interesting because i i didn't think the market was overheated i mean i i knew that there's a lot of demand for housing and limited supply so that's going to lead to higher prices but i didn't necessarily equate that with um with like bubble type of activity it would seem a little premature to think bubble activity i would i would believe however the but prices it, are going up yeah and i mean just some of the way the way some of these comments were posed to me was like would you buy housing in this market yeah would you know like I sure wouldn't. Would you? Oddly, it, oddly enough, what I get more is, would you buy a house until it rains? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> I've, I've had that conversation multiple times here in the last few weeks. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe you want to test the well if you're on a well, but in town type of thing, you know, you're probably in pretty good shape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I see that. I know water's the big concern. Um, hopeful that this is the, the winter that actually produces all the El Nino rains we've been hoping for. Yeah, that's what they're saying. <clears throat> so. But yeah, no, that's an interesting thing that people went, they went, the pendulum swung so far there and so quickly. Yeah. You know, because it wasn't that long ago that, you know, they thought the sky was falling still. And, you know, we, we got on some pretty firm footing in housing, particularly here. But again, a lot of it's, a lot of it was lack of inventory. And we'll see what happens with these new homes that are being built. Maybe we'll, uh, you know, get things going. But the last time, that was a big part of it. They were building houses rapid fire. I mean... Well, my thought on on the big price decline in 2007, 8, 9, 10, mm -hmm. you know, home prices declining so quickly during that period was that you had so many people that 
they they bought their home with with no cash out of pocket. Mm-hmm. They bought it with a loan that they didn't show all their cards when qualifying for repayment. Yeah. And when times got tough, they said, "Well, what do I really have to lose other than my good credit score?" Yeah. I'll I'll I'm going to I'm going to go a different route. See you later house. This time's a little bit different. Yeah, there are still some, you know, a fair amount of low down payment loan programs, but there's some skin in the game here. I mean, even a 5% down payment on a $400,000 home is a $20,000 investment. Most people aren't going to be excited about walking away from 20 grand. Also, they're qualif- these same people who are buying these homes are are buying them by showing their tax returns, their pay stubs, their W2s, their bank statements. They're showing they're laying it all out there to prove that they can repay this debt and most of the loans, I'd say 90 7% of all loans today are fixed rate mortgages. So the payment's not going to change, which is vastly different from six, seven, eight years ago when most of the loans were five and seven year, three, five and seven year adjustable rate mortgages or the dreaded pay option arm loan that adjusted every month and grew, the balance grew on it every month. So those factors are all very different about this um price increase cycle that we're in right now yeah undoubtedly the performance numbers that i've seen and there's not huge amounts of those numbers but the numbers do come out and there's a couple uh, websites that send emails and data and the performance of the newer loans have been pretty extraordinary the one area that's not performing though well at all is the previously modified loans um not the ones that were government modified but the bank specific modifications have really not done so well because they did modify them on an adjustable rate type situation and they adjust you know some of them are starting to adjust well and those were people who for the most part got funky loans that they didn't prove they could repay in the first place and in an attempt to try to keep those people in their homes and not just add to the pile of foreclosed homes they just gave them some different repayment terms, but we don't truly know what those people could have actually qualified for had they shown their tax returns and pay stubs. And, you know, I mean, I guess through the modification process, they are doing that. They are trying to fully qualify them for the modified payment. But yeah, a lot of times the payment is only modified for a short period of time and then it adjusts yeah, back. Yeah, I mean, they, they drop the payment down to a third of what it what it would be and then all of a sudden it bumps back up. Yeah. You know, obviously the HARP stuff was a little bit different. You know, some of the, the uh, or the HAMP or whatever the case may be, the government, the government programs were a tad different. But yeah, those are starting to not really perform at the highest level. But beyond that, all the other new notes seem to be doing really, really well. And like you said, a lot of it's because they actually had to prove that they made the money and that they could make the payments. Yeah. So I'm I'm of the opinion that even if housing really slows down because interest rates go up, you're not necessarily going to see a big price decline. I mean, the people who are in their homes today, they can afford them. They've proven it. Mm-hmm. Their payments aren't going to change on them all of a sudden because they're in fixed rate mortgages. Um, so I, I just, I don't see this being a problem. I don't think if you're out there looking for real estate, you should be concerned about buying at a peak, you know, in some kind of bubble environment that's, that's going to erode on you quickly. I don't think that's likely to happen. I I don't either. And I think that the part that's, um, 
key to that is, you know, we're not building. I know that we just talked about some of those projects that have been sitting or starting, but we're not building at the rate that we were before. Yeah, we got way behind because we didn't build for a number of years. years. And even the pace that we're building now isn't even keeping up with what we need in, in just if we were up to date with our housing stock. Yeah, there, there's not an oversupply situation that that's going on. I mean, think back to those days prior to that crash. I mean, you'd meet 10 people and four of them would be home builders. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, four to five of them would be home builders at that time. So the, the the supply situation or the supply part of that equation, I just don't feel is in place the way it was then. Um, obviously, you already said the, the financing portion or the people that were leaving, that's obviously substantially better. You know, that's not a situation that exists anymore. So... It's undoubtedly a different environment. Do you guys see a, a problem with the water, though, still? Yes. I mean, water's going to limit building and or mm -hmm. add to cost of building. Yeah. And probably both. I think, mm -hmm. it'll, I think it'll do both. Do you see some projects being put back on hold because they thought they had the water and they don't? I think anything that already had some some motion um is probably okay but anything new might be facing some some difficulties some, undoubtedly some tough mm -hmm. tough times yeah but you know a little a good rain season changes all so just yeah. gotta we gotta remember that do Lopez, our rain dance every Lopez night filled up in one year yeah they built it that's right <laughs> really one year they had a hundred year flood nice and it was supposed to take i i believe if i'm right it was supposed to take 10 years to fill it it filled up in a year. I mean, it's very possible that right now the best opportunity in real estate is to buy a lake house. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of people are running from it. And if uh, th this might be the best summer to, to think about buying a lake house, if you uh, there it is. If, if the rains do, in fact, come because Just then envision the lake being there. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, along this topic of the the modified buyer and the, you know, that, that kind of thing, I, demand isn't going to slow down anytime soon. We've got an estimated 700,000, what they're, they're being termed, boomerang buyers. Uh, These are the folks who were previously unable to qualify because they short-sold their home, or they had a home foreclosed, or they filed a bankruptcy, or some other problem that prevented them from qualifying for a mortgage. And they are now able to re-enter the mortgage market. And I can only believe that there are going to be more of these boomerang buyers as the years go on. Um, because depending on the credit event, there are different timing thresholds of when they can get back into the mortgage market. Oh, yeah. Undoubtedly that they'll be around for a while. And it's it's somewhat interesting because the time periods and the, I don't know, being put into the penalty box, so to speak, vary greatly depending upon if you were somebody that actually had, you know, job loss and income loss. Um, or if you were the person like you were talking about that just decided, hey, you know. I'm underwater and I'm leaving. Um, if you have, you know, real circumstances that cause the situation that were a bit beyond your control, um, they're allowing you back in quite a bit earlier, you know, which is interesting to see. And where that threshold's going to be and what that area is going to be, the, where they make that determination, like, yes, you qualify for an extenuating circumstance going forward is going to be somewhat interesting to, to find out, I guess. Yeah, that, I mean, you can literally qualify for an FHA loan a year after a major credit, neg a negative credit event, um, if you can document 
document what's called an extenuating circumstance, which we're either looking for loss of a job, a significant decline in income, which would be 20% or greater, or um, oftentimes a, a death of a spouse um, or some other major, major family event that leads to a financial hardship. Major medical event. Yeah, too. major medical event. Those kinds of things that really impact uh, your cash flow and your assets um, that can lead you to, to choose, you know, paying for medical care over your home is, is something that that's, yeah, they'll give you some leeway on that. And you can qualify as little as a year. Other programs are a little more restrictive, a conventional loan. You still have anywhere from two to seven years, depending on the event and the situation. Um, so it all, all depends, but yeah, boomerang buyers are, are contributing to the, the demand that's still, still pretty strong. We're going to learn more about demand. I know that was something that, uh, Susie and I talked about yesterday was just the the demand and and in particular this summer buying season's really heating up and and we'll talk more about that in the second hour. It is time for uh, another commercial break. So we're going to step aside and thank our sponsors or let them uh, share who they even are and and we'll give them their time here. We'll be right back with more mortgage matters. Mortgage matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending. I see you at our kids' Little League games, I bump into you at the grocery store, and it's always fun when we pass each other at Farmer's Market. I'm not a national bank or a faceless website. I'm a local lender, accountable, competitive, and ready to help. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 home. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 018-39608. NMLS number 328358. The state of denial is a drag. And a trial when I bought my cheap insurance. Should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending.
All right, welcome back. More Mortgage Matters here. If you would like to participate in today's show, you can call in live and ask a question, share a comment. The number to the studio is 543-8830-543-8830. I am joined here by Will Barnaby. He's, uh, He's our Paso guy. He's the guy in Paso. The Paso guy. Yeah. Yep, yep. He handles all those loans up there. So there's a some industry things I thought we could chat about. Okay. Um, what is it? I think it's July 1st. We're going to have some pricing changes to the Fannie Mae, um, Fannie Mae loans. Yes, sir. Which Fannie Mae is like 75% of the loans that are originated today. Yeah, at least, least that's what it's been traditionally. So I assume it's it's similar. I I would have guessed higher to be honest with you, but I could be wrong. I've been wrong today already. So, <laughs> so what we have coming down on July first, we're going to see investment properties get a little bit more expensive. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that, but yeah, that's what's going to happen. Normally the. Um, the additional fee for an, an investment property is a one and three quarters percent fee. Yes. Um, usually that's priced into your loan in the form of a higher rate, usually about a quarter of a point increase in rate. Um, now that fee is going up to two and an eighth points. Yeah. 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 That's all happening. And it's strange for me because a few years ago, when things were really bad and and there was tons of houses on the market and there was all this distressed property these real estate investors really kind of were very very helpful came in and bailed everybody out and it's supposed to be a measure of risk and somehow i don't believe that it's a measure of risk these well you just shared that the portfolio performance of these loans is incredible yeah so i'm not sure exactly how they justify that but again back to the point that i made earlier it feels as if they don't want that to be someone's economic source anymore. They they don't seem to talk about it quite as much anymore. They don't necessarily speak about that that segment of the market anymore in the way that they did. And I'm just not sure that that's really fair. But they didn't ask me. I, I, I know it's surprising. <laughs> you were um, I know it's really surprising. Uh, my <laughs> phone didn't ring. They didn't ask me what I thought. So off we go. Another category that I saw that was going to be more expensive was higher credit scores a lot of the higher credit scores either had a price improvement um or you know the just the 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 hit the the price adjustment for the credit score it's it's credit score and loan to value it's a matrix it's a little grid so as as that higher credit score puts a puts down less money on this home or has less equity in the property the there's a price adjustment for that but I noticed all those higher credit scores were getting negatively affected. So I thought that's an odd one too. Why are we, why are we making it more expensive for the people with the best credit? Yeah, and you know, and oddly enough, even more than just the credit score, some of the higher loan to values actually their adjustments improved. Yeah, which while, I don't get at all. Well, from what I was told, it's because they'll have mortgage insurance and it makes it a bit safer. Come on now. Yeah, it's it's weird. The one the one area that did make some sense to me is just the the cash out loans. Cash out also got a little bit more expensive across yeah. all credit scores and loan to values. In fact, Fannie Mae, um, prior to this change, would allow up to 
an 85% loan to value on a cash out transaction and they lowered that to 80. Yes. Um, so that's, those are some of the changes that are going to occur in the next week or so. Um, but that plays into the same thing that I'm saying. They, they don't necessarily want the house to be a bank anymore and they don't necessarily want to try to encourage that as, as an economic driver in the overall market, these investment properties. I just think that's trying to push back the tide, but, that yeah, the cash out thing makes sense to me. I mean, we've seen a, a yeah. we've seen property values increase pretty substantially, and um, you know I don't have all the the figures, but I can only imagine that as home equity has increased, that the the number of cash out refinance transactions probably also increased. I, I would assume well that before that they couldn't, and now they can, and they probably don't want to see what happened before, where people become highly leveraged on their properties and cannot. Hit, can't take a hit. Can't take a market adjustment. Let's see. There are a couple of court cases that occurred this past week. Um, one of them could be pretty controversial. I might. Well, there's a few that might be. Yeah. Well, one one's pretty um, timely, I think, given our the compliance training that we're that okay. we're doing. Um, you know, there's a. One of the biggest things that um, is part of the the testing and training components of holding a real estate license or a a, a, a lending license is um, are are those laws pertaining to discrimination. Yes. Um, and what we had this week from the Supreme Court was upholding the use of the disparate impact, which disparate impact is um, when discrimination occurs. On accident, essentially. It's, you know, unintended discrimination. Um, How do you do that? It's, uh, gosh, like if you um, if you offer some kind of incentive to um, all veterans, you know, you might be excluding anyone who's not a veteran, and, and that's, oh, that's disparate okay. treatment towards any non-veterans. Um, and I'm just using that as an example. I've actually researched that particular issue and that's not considered it, it can be thought of as disparate treatment i mean it, it is an unintended discrimination but it's um it's an allowable one yeah so anyways the this this court case allows for um folks to to file lawsuits based on disparate impact but they have set some standards for it there has to be some uh some substantial um, unfair terms that are being presented and, and it has to be widespread. It can't affect a small group of people. It has to be something fairly widespread. There has to be a pattern. Um, yeah. They're trying to do away with frivolous claims while still um, maintaining, you know, making sure people aren't finding loopholes to discriminate, whether it's lenders or banks or realtors or whoever. Well, yeah, I guess I understand what you're saying. I'm just not fully, you have made a bit of a disadvantage because I didn't read about that, but <laughs> how exactly do they accidentally discriminate against somebody? It just seems strange. I mean, I'm not sure what a specific situation where that this could occur. I mean, the veteran thing, I get what you're saying, but you know, vets went out, they served, they earned something. I'm, I'm just not, not fully understanding how that occurs. I mean, even something like the USDA loan where there's an income cap 
on qualifying you know by by having this cap on income you have disallowed all the people who make more so so really that's one of the few uh, zero down loan programs that exist so now um people who make more than eighty seven thousand dollars a year aren't allowed to access that program so they're being disparately impacted I see what you're saying. Okay, that that example makes a little bit more sense to me. I could kind of So there's there's one. a lot of instances like that. A lot of them are are allowed, but there are other types of situations which, you know, we don't practice these things, so it's not Absolutely like not. I have these examples at my fingertips. But that was Well, like my community mortgage is another one. Yep, it's another one with an income cap. Or there's some that have geographic restrictions that can you know, limit, limit people. Um, there are some, like, there's some price adjusters. If, if you're lending in a low income area that, that improve, um, pricing for that loan. Um, so there good neighbor next door things like, yeah, that. there's lots of things like that that can, that can exclude some people and, and they feel like they're being discriminated against. But this, this law hopes, or this, um, court decision hopes to clarify and limit the frivolous claims, but allow for the non-frivolous claims to proceed forward. If I had a guess or bet, you know, and I, I do like to gamble occasionally, I would say a vast majority of those may be frivolous. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Let's see. There was a, there was a court case from the, the California Supreme court, our own state here in San Jose. Um, Upholding the right of San Jose and other cities, this is a unanimous ruling, um, to allow these cities to require that new for sale housing projects include some affordable homes. And in fact, the ordinance um, allows or says that 15% of new houses or condominiums built in San Jose will be affordable for hardworking people. I mean, isn't everyone who's working, most people who work are hardworking. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. And they already do that here to an extent. I mean, if you build a big enough development, you have to build some affordable housing. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a pretty common thing all over. And one of the big gripes from developers is that um, really all it does is is put that cost, the, you know, the, what they're subsidizing for the 15% of the units mm-hmm. is being passed on to the other 85% of the units because there's still the same cost to building these homes. Yeah. You know, so, so they have to factor that in somehow. Well, and it's definitely not worked out as well as you would have hoped or anticipated. Like I do know like a couple of the projects that were built in the North County, the, the, the last homes to go were the ones that were set for the lowest income. And it wasn't because there wasn't enough people that were looking for those homes or met those income requirements. But if they met the income requirements, they couldn't necessarily afford the house even at, you know, the discounted amount. And uh, I can think of one in a Tascadero, you know, off the top of my head that I drive by pretty frequently. And and it was it, there was some difficulties there in getting rid of those properties or getting those properties sold. Um, not that I'm saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying I don't think they quite have the situation right yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely understand the need for affordable housing, but it's 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 hard when um, land is expensive in California, the cost of buildings only going up, and then to just discount units that for the most 
part are the same units that are being sold at a much higher price, but but these ones just have to be marked down um, to meet the lo- the affordable housing requirements in a project. Jim. A lot of what I see with the affordable housing too is it seems like they're smaller and they're on an even smaller lot than you know some of the yeah some of the other houses, and maybe they're just not attractive to the people. Period. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know if maybe. Yeah. Maybe, but I, I'm kind of of the opinion that the ones that I looked at, the income level was so low that it was just hard for them to qualify for that that tier. And there were multiple tiers. There was like a moderate situation and there was a really low scenario. And the people that were in that income bracket um, had a t- just had a tough time qualifying. Mm-hmm. You know, they had a tough time qualifying. So they set the, 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 the income so low that even... Even the low income people would have they they, they a really struggled, you know. If yeah, they, they if they owned struggling. a car or whatever, they had a difficulty in, in in meeting the debt to income ratios. I mean, think about it like this: the USDA loan that we talk about, right? For that thing's existed forever. Mm-hmm. But when I started doing loans, you never heard about it here. And the reason you didn't hear about it is because the income level or the income restriction was set to a point where, if you met that restriction. There was no way you could buy a house here. The yeah, dirt you, cost too much. You, you know? wouldn't meet the debt to income ratio. Yeah, you know, and, and that's become a lot more restrictive on that program as well recently. But, you know, it was it was a weird thing because it was a program that existed forever, never was used. Then all of a sudden that income amount was bumped up substantially. And at one year, I want to say 2013, I figured out it was about 35, 40 percent of my business in the North County, the North County portion of the business, which was, you know, a lot more first time home buyers and things along those lines. So, yeah, I, I kind of feel like while that program may be well intended, um, it's not necessary. All the kinks aren't worked out. They, they've got to work with that that a little bit more if they want to have that that lower tier actually be something that's viable. I think that those property, the, the project that I'm thinking about in Atascadero, I think that they did eventually get sold and moved on. One of the things that I'm always worried about it within those projects is if there's any kind of um, resentment in within the the neighborhood of the people who are buying the full priced units towards the people who are buying the affordable units that they somehow know that they've subsidized the ability for those people to purchase the homes. I don't know. The one maybe not. The one that comes to my mind, I don't know that it was identifiable, but I don't know that in other ones that it would not be something that you could identify but you know don't know enough to really say well nevertheless we've got uh we've got the california supreme court upholding the 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 right for these cities to require developers to include affordable units in their projects in their new for sale housing projects so definitely something that will impact developers here um we're getting very very close to this mandatory break um, we'll step aside here for about five minutes. So go ahead and refresh your coffee. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Susie Brands. She's a realtor at Richardson Properties, and we're going to have a great conversation with her. So we'll welcome you back in just a few minutes. You're listening to Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. If you want to join the conversation, call the show at 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Now... Here's Dan and Jason.
All right, welcome back. This, I, I guess this qualifies as our Independence Day episode of Mortgage Matters since we won't be here next weekend. That's what it is. We're getting people ready for it. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're on. Good, you're, you're, you're live. Good, you're good, Will. I, guess I right. can't hear me. Um, when we come back next time, we need a little uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, playing the Some National Anthem. Star Spangled Banner. Yeah. I'll try to get that yeah, in there. I'll try to find that. Yeah, it's yeah. It's one of my favorites. Well, as promised, we are joined this hour by Susie Brand. She's a realtor at Richardson Properties. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. This is um, Susie's first appearance on live radio, so we'll we'll go easy on her. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And before we get going with Susie, I do want to remind you that um, today's show is interactive. I know it's a nice day and you're probably outside, but... If you feel like calling in, you want to ask a question um, or share a comment, you can call us at 543-8830, 543-8830. If you're shy, you can ask Jim your question, and uh, he will ask for you. The only bad question is the one, or the only, yeah, is it the only bad question is the one you don't ask? That's right. Is that the way it goes? That's right. So don't ask a bad question. Oh, I've asked some questions that worked out badly. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, Susie, welcome to the show again. Um, I always like to start out with our guests and just get a little bit of background so that both us and uh, and our listeners can learn a little bit more about you. So I'm curious, how did you wind up or where are you from? How did you wind up here on the Central Coast and um, how did you get into real estate? Well, I am originally from the Bay Area, from the East Bay, and came down here, let's see, about 14 years ago now to go to Cal Poly. Was fortunate enough to graduate in four years and got into real estate. Always thought I'd go into law. My dad's a real estate attorney, which is always helpful and one for one call away, but uh, got into real estate, started, and still here 10 years later haven't looked back haven't looked back it's nice to go home but i don't like the traffic so i think <laughs> i'll stay here for a little yeah, while the pace of life is pretty nice it's, here. yeah they call it slow for a reason and i'm okay with that yeah it is a beautiful place to live mm-hmm. so you got into real estate and as i learned yesterday um listing and selling properties is just one aspect of your business you have a pretty um pretty big and successful um, property management side of your business also. Yeah, I noticed early on when I got into the business at the age of 21, not very many people want to buy from a 21-year-old. It's a little more difficult when you're fresh. <laughs> I mean, what do you know at 21 about <laughs> anything, really? I, right, right. <laughs> well, I got into it and I noticed a big market. Um, especially being located in San Luis Obispo, was by the Cal Poly campus. And a lot of agents would complain about dealing with the students and uh, and tenants in general. They couldn't relate, A, to that age and demographic, and B, they just didn't really want to bother with it. So I realized that if I got into dealing with the Cal Poly area, A, I knew the rental market, so I knew if people were bought houses, you know, for their kids to live in during their college career or investors to pick up something that I realized that they would hold it. And if it was for a child to live in and they bought it as a second home, eventually they'd want to sell it. Most likely they didn't want to keep it. So Mm -hmm. 
it would be in uh, kind of its own ball rolling of buy, hold, sell, and who are they going to call hopefully myself again. So fast forward a few years and I, people would call me and say, do you know anyone that would want to manage the property? And I would refer them out. And then I kind of thought, well, maybe I could do it. And the first few were a little difficult. Let's just say getting into the property management realm was uh, it had its ups. It definitely had its challenges, but it was kind of its own building block for me to not only re- get more clients but retain my clients easier. So when they purchase something and they go to they go to sell it, if I've been a part of their management, it's automatically usually given me the listing on it. And in that regards, I have a lot of buyers in that specific area or just in general with the with the rental market that would that I kind of could put the two parties together at a discount for the seller because he didn't have to go to market, he didn't have to list it. I'd just bring in a buyer and it would be a really easy smooth transa- transaction. Nice. Yeah. That's, that's a nice little niche right there. <laughs> it, it is. It's a nice little yeah. niche. And so slowly but surely I've really been in the management for about Five, six years, it's kind of built itself up and my portfolio's grown. And now I have great assistance behind me because I cannot do this alone. That's a given. And I really enjoy it. It's it's an always, it's an ever-growing market, especially in San Luis. I understand, you know, and, and I've managed a bunch in North County. I'm focusing more in San Luis. It's easier for me just location-wise. But I've done a bunch in North County, not really in South County. But it's really... It's also been a benefit that if someone wants to find a rental, that I can kind of lead them in the right direction, what to expect, how to help them formulate a bio about themselves, get the application process together, because I know what I'm looking for. I can help them put together and put their best foot forward when they go to find a rental. Hmm. What percentage of people you think buy for their kids and then keep the property permanently? More and more because the rents are so much higher. It is a beautiful thing, right? The, yeah. the, the rents on those properties are amazing. Yeah. And, and it's really, I would say probably half will keep it at least for one year. After the kid after and on. then they realize they don't want to be a property manager or they don't want to they don't want to deal with it. And yeah. then they'll usually sell it. I would say on average, most of them will sell within after the first year within the three years thereafter tell you what that's a beautiful system right there you know you've got a self-feeding system going on people will come in buy the house for their kid when their kid leaves they they move on you must have sold the same house many 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 times times. but in more than anything it's not just about listing the property representing the buyer there's a lot of information that goes behind it expectations and managing their expectations when i have a client come in that wants to buy a property wherever it be san luis obispo south county north county i always tell them when going into it if i know either i'm going to manage or they're going to manage it themselves or have someone else manage it expectations of the owner when it comes to a property and that's re reflooring repainting and not passing that off on the tenants uh, you know you can do some somewhat if they cause damage but there is normal wear and tear that a lot of people need to understand it's not about buying a property and not touching it and just letting it 
become dilapidated. We're seeing a mm. lot of properties that have a lot of deferred maintenance. And the only person that's losing, A, is the tenant, and B, the owner, because if you don't keep up on the properties, then you're going to have all of a sudden, instead of maybe a, you know, 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks to paint the property one year, okay, well, then you've got the next year, you've got flooring and paint, and then you've got electrical issues, plumbing issues, and then you've got, it's, it's going to skyrocket, and it'll be a $10,000 job versus a... Fifteen or two thousand dollar job, and then having a good accountant as well is really important if you have investment properties. Oh yeah, so yeah, help uh, help set some of those expectations for people who might be interested in owning investment property in that that Cal Poly area. There, um, what would a property owner expect to pay annually for? For repairs, or how often do does the place need painting on average? How often do you have to replace floors? Like, what what does that look like? That maintenance side. It really depends, a on the tenant and making sure the tenants are taking care of the properties, and you know having local representation for the owner is important because we have noticed there is a big divide and i also understand i live right next to cal poly i own a rental right next to cal poly i actually live next door to my rental um that's probably more awkward than the tenants than it is for me although at the beginning it was really hard for me um you know flooring every five years painting every three to five years because what I have noticed is if you put tenants in a property that has not been maintained, they are not going to maintain the property because they have no pride. I'm going to call it ownership because or that they're in the property. You know, they want their friends over and show off that they have the nice house versus their friends that have a horrible house. And then also you have we've we've seen an influx of families coming to the area with the tech companies growing. We're seeing that's been a, another aspect that has been really booming is finally we're getting a demographic in my opinion between let's say the 25 to 45 range that we didn't have in the area here because of you know the jobs is you're either a doctor, a lawyer, a this, a that, or you're somewhat in the in the hospitality business. And so now we've got these companies coming in and we've got more families moving to the area, which is fantastic. And so usually if they're coming from out of the area, they want to rent six months, a year, and then they want to go find a property to purchase and they want to know where they want to go. Do they want to go North County? Do they want to go in South County? Do they want to stay in San Luis? Do they want to go over to the beach communities and live on the beach? So I think we had a question actually, and I don't know if we had a straight answer on it a couple of weeks ago about, um, and you might be able to answer this. What is the average rent per bedroom near Cal Poly right now? Thousand dollars a bedroom. Wow. Now let's just break this down. Um, it doesn't mean the students are paying or the renters are paying a thousand dollars. Oh, because they're all say, cramming two or three people in a bedroom, right? Yeah, and so <laughs> San Luis Obispo has an ordinance that we're allowed up to five people in a property. So let's yeah. say there's a four bedroom house and they'll put five people in there, and mm -hmm. so that will help lessen the rent. And then it depends are you close to the school, are you farther away from the school? Before there was a larger gap between the rents farther from campus than close to campus, that gap is closing quickly. Um, I'm seeing rents across town, not close to Cal Poly, and owners getting rents that I wouldn't have thought possible. What do you attribute that to? 
lack supply. of inventory. <laughs> yeah. In fact, How? we're seeing it out in, in the other communities altogether. I mean, in Los Osos and Morro Bay, those are some alternative um, destinations for these renters because they either can't afford or there's just not anything available for them in yeah. San Luis Obispo. So they go out to Los Osos or Morro Bay or they go north and go to Atascadero. The rents all around are, are going up because of what's going on around the Cal Poly area mm -hmm. and the impact that all those students are having and it's, on the housing. And Cal Poly is only growing. And then this whole plan of them building more more dormitories for to house the students and then a lot of the neighbors in the area are were trying to fight that and Cal Poly is growing but the inventory is not and then they're upset that there's more investors coming into the area because they're buying the properties because it's a safe investment versus in other areas where it may not be as safe so blaming not only you know they're ended up a lot of them are blaming the students because they're taking you know we're having a lot more rentals but at the same time where are they coming from they're coming from the college we're also like i said we're getting a lot of families coming to the area they can't find rentals they can't find housing there are a lot of developments coming down the pipeline within the city i've been keep trying to keep up with a lot of that and but a lot of them are not five to ten years out before we're going to see that so we will see an influx of housing but it's not going to be, we still don't have enough within the next five years. Hmm. So this is a controversial topic. We've mm -hmm. seen a lot of it's stuff very, written up in the paper about very, the, you know, the students. We've seen garages collapse. There's been all kinds of issues around, around the student housing. Um, you live right in the middle of it. I live right in the middle. And I'm also, it, I, the, I'm going to call right next to Cal Poly. We've got Alta Vista Heights and we got Monterey Heights. And we've been really trying to work together with bridging the gap between the renters and the owners. We have monthly potlucks, which is fantastic. So owners in the area get to know the know their tenants. I incentivize my tenants to go because I want them to show that they're wanting to get involved and that the owners can meet their neighbors. And we really are trying to work together and it's been it's been helping. It creates some accountability. Yeah. You know, there's now it, it's harder for you to be just a, a terrible neighbor to everyone if you're um, if people know you and you know your neighbors mm -hmm. and it, it creates that that kind of social pressure to, to be a good citizen and in it, your community it's been really nice and not only that and i have been able to meet a lot more of my neighbors going to this and as being an owner and they you know i see them walking their dogs they see me me walking my dog and so now i can sit and talk with them and get to know them what's your story a lot of them have lived in their homes for 30 years yeah so now they're talking a lot about rental inspections um that's imminent, right? That's going yes, to happen. Did so, pass. but what I'm hearing from you is that the homes that are kept up nicer tend to have better tenants because they have that pride of this is my house. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't own it, but this is my house and it's a nice house and I want to keep it nice. I'm not going to let it be the 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 party house that gets destroyed all the time. So do you think that this is a good thing, these rental inspections that are being imposed? I am growing to appreciate it more and more because I am seeing that there's more properties that definitely need help. And so 
why not clean them up? Owners should be held accountable. Tenants should also be held accountable for this. I mean, it's a matter of both, but I think it's it's really going to be a game changer in the community. I was just going to say, this is reminding me of a couple movies that have been out recently with neighbors that come by. <laughs> that was and, a great And when movie. you talk about wear and tear, uh, at 20, I don't know that I caused normal wear and tear. I think I caused abnormal wear and tear. Now, at my age now, I'm footprint's a little smaller. Yeah. So, well, you're just slower in general because I, of I your age. I don't move real quick anymore. No, not at all. Not but at all. I think this is going to... You, you, people will, I think some owners are going to eventually sell because they're not going to want to fix them up. They're not going to have the means to fix them up, which is going to give more opportunities for people to buy. And I, I mean, going back into how the market is right, recently, we have so many, we've got too many buyers for each listing. We're seeing, I mean, I'm seeing the last few offers I've put in in the last week. I put in three offers. I had anywhere between three and 12 offers I was going against. Yeah. Yeah. The supply definitely is, is limited mm -hmm. and uh, that's driving the market at the moment. Um, I want to remind you that if you want to participate in the conversation today, you can call us at 543-8830, 543-8830. One of our loyal listeners I know already knows the number. So Marilyn, welcome back. <laughs> oh, this is bad. <laughs> Let me know who's calling before they even call well part of that's just jim you know jim tells us so <laughs> <laughs> um my question is i live within the alta vista area and um when i pass on my children are thinking they would rent the house so i'm under prop 13 and they inherit that if they rent do they still have the advantage of Prop 13? My understanding is yes. I mean, it's it's really about the the transfer of title. And when you transfer from a parent to a child, then they maintain that tax base. And I forgot if it's 60, Prop 60 or whatever. When we had Tom Bordenaro on, he had, we actually talked about this very issue. And um, and so your your children will enjoy that property tax base that you've enjoyed. Um, and regardless of the use of the property, they still get to enjoy that tax base because they're the rightful owners of that property. It's the, cha okay. it's the taint chain of title that drives it, not, yeah. not the use of the property. Correct. Okay. Um, thank you. And do, may I ask another question? Of course. Okay. I have a single friend, a woman, moving from Nevada to California. And big difference between Reno and our coast. Mm -hmm. And she has limited income, and the only place I can think is affordable would be San Miguel. But I don't know. The environment of San Miguel didn't used to be very good, but is it better now? Yes. Yes, there's been a couple new neighborhoods that have been built there, and uh, it's definitely gotten quite a bit nicer. Mm -hmm. The, the little downtown area, they've been talking about improving that for, since I moved here, I don't know, 19, 20 years ago. Um, and I know that they've started on a couple things, like they've taken down some of those houses, but the financial crisis hit and it really hasn't changed that little downtown area. But there's the newer neighborhood that's been built um, on the west side, and then there's two other additional smaller newer neighborhoods that have been built um, down near the river. 
Um, the only thing I would tell you about that is when they built those properties, um, the FEMA maps were a little bit different. And since then, some of those ones that are right on that river's edge, you want to make sure that there's been a, uh, uh, what is it, a Loma letter of map adjustment um, filed on the property because that can be somewhat problematic. But beyond that, yeah, I would say the place has improved. What other communities um, would you say are comparable to San Miguel as far as affordability? If just to give some alternatives. Well, there's a number of them, but I don't know that they're quite a bit further out. You know, obviously Shandon is out there. It's probably relatively inexpensive, though I don't know about how nice, you know, that community is. Um, Santa Margarita has some areas that I think are relatively affordable as well. Yeah, actually, we did a um, quarter one um, statistical analysis of sales, and granted, there weren't very many sales that occurred in Santa Margarita, but it was the um, it was the least expensive um, price, both both total price and price per square foot in the county. What about uh, South County, Napomo, Oceano? Yeah, you know, honestly, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What about what Guadalupe? Mm-hmm. I would yeah. imagine Guadalupe is probably pretty affordable yeah you know and then there's other there i mean if she's a single person just one person i mean even in paso on the the alley homes on the west side which is one of the nicer areas i think because you know they're Mm -hmm. not tracks track houses they've got big victorians but a lot of those were r2 lots and there's been a lot of small studios that have been built in those alleyways um, and I know that alleyway makes it sound bad, but it's really not. Yeah. You know, there's there's some really nice stuff that has been built there that that may be relatively inexpensive. Now, granted, you're uh, you're pulling a Susie and you're going to be living right next to the landlord. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know. But no, you know, I'm she, not she, she, next door to Susie. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Come on down, <laughs> your, Marilyn. Your friend won't be able to have any keggers in that small little uh, studio back <laughs> yeah. there. But uh, you know, but yeah, you know, I I would say that there are some alternatives. You know, okay, thank you. You're, as usual, very informative. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Marilyn. Nice to hear from you. Thank you. Bye. All right, I think this is a great time to take a break, and we'll regroup, figure out what we're going to do for the last half hour of the show. Um, again, if you would like to call in and share a question or comment, you can do so at 543-8830. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
This is Jason Grody with Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. As mortgage experts, we can help you refinance your home or investment property. We can lower your rate, shorten your term, or get rid of your mortgage insurance. Don't miss the opportunity to improve your financial situation. Call Central Coast Lending today. Central Coast Lending is an equal housing opportunity real estate broker. California Bureau of Real Estate number 01839608. NMLS number 328358. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. feel bad interrupting this song yeah that's my kind of patriotic music yeah i do like i do like this all right don't want to get in trouble you know only seven seconds i feel like we've we're talking over it we're all right okay yeah we can fade it we can fade it all right i do hope everyone's safe next weekend on what hopes to be a beautiful fourth of july Hopefully the fog will stay offshore so we can watch some fireworks. Um, all right, we're here. We're joined by Susie Brand. She's a realtor with Richardson Properties. I just want to share some contact info in case you um, are interested <laughs> in buying or selling. And Susie sounds like your kind of gal to um, work with. Or if you're interested in finding a property to rent, you can reach Susie. Um, is your cell number the best? That's probably the best. The cell direct dial right here 550-8833 or you can email her Susie at richardsonproperties.com and it's s-u-s-i-e no z's in there i wish i had a z i think i always wanted a z in my name <laughs> you just want the z i always wanted the z i just think Su- it's so cool z. yeah the z is kind of cool i, I know it's it. different yeah thanks mom <laughs> we don't get to pick our name just have to live with it. I know. Yeah. Uh, even Wes, or Will over there. Yeah, Wes Will. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. no. Wes Will. Oh, you know. I never, I never I, call hey. him Will, though. That is the other thing. Jim, so believe me, I've been called worse. Yeah. <laughs> me too. Quite often, actually. By people in this room. Uh, yeah, that, that, too, is true. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> All right, we're enjoying a nice conversation um, with Susie here. And one of the things that we talked about yesterday that caught my attention was just when you list a new property, you have kind of a unique way of going about introducing that property to the market. And I thought that would be kind of cool to talk about for a minute. Yeah, when I take a listing, I think it's very important because everyone knows 
that their neighbors want to get into their house and want to know what's going on. So whenever I take a listing, I like to do a neighbor open house first, usually before the first open house. And it's most of the time I do it in the evening. So people get off of work, they can come by, do an invitation out to them, get it out in the mail, get it to them at the beginning of the week, hold it open on a Friday, the first open house is Saturday, because they're gonna always wanna get in and see what's going on. So I get really good feedback. I wanna know what the neighbors think, and they also wanna have a an estimate of what their house is worth and what what does this specific listing have versus theirs? How can they fix theirs if this one sells for this price and if they're thinking about selling? And it really does help out. And so when I hold open houses then on the weekend, I don't have as many neighbors through. So if I actually get potential buyers through, I can spend more time with those specific people coming through that will want to know more about the property instead of, you know, chit-chatting with the neighbors. Well, I think it's brilliant. Because I'll tell you, every time a house goes vacant next to me or goes up for sale next to me, the first thing I think is, oh, man. What are they going to list it? I'm going to have new neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I'm in for this. Right? So you invite the neighbors over. If it was me, I'd go over. And the first thing I'd think is, hey, who do I know that I want to live next door to? And do they need a house? Exactly. It really gets that buzz going right away. I, I would that, that would be my thought. Because, you know, I've, I've had a house that's next to me that is a rental, you know, a couple houses down. And every time that changes tenants, uh, you know, I get a little nervous for a couple of days. Get a little nervous. So, I don't know. I think it's a brilliant marketing scheme. And scheme. <laughs> scheme. Bang. Sounds so sinister. Bang. I know, I know. I, I meant plan. My apologies. <laughs> and this is why they call me bad names. <laughs> well, you know, perfect example. I have a listing right now in Cayucas. And a lot of people own properties in Cayucas that live over in the valley or up in the Bay Area or down in Southern California. So, a lot of times they've got friends that they bring over with them and they may be considering buying a property. So if the neighbors know about it before or right as it comes up, they can alert their friends. Yeah, and then there's a there's a vast majority of them are using it as a ruler. How, yeah, how much is my place worth, mm -hmm. you know? But like I gotta tell you, I would that would be my thought if my neighbor's house was held open. I'd wanna see it so I could try to kind of control who's gonna be in it. Well, and there's a lot of people on the weekends that go, they peruse through the real estate section of the mag of the newspaper. They want to know what's going on. How are things moving, whether in their neighborhood or... I do that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I grew up with my mom going to open houses all the time. She wasn't in the market to buy, sure, at all, but she'd always want to know what was going on. And I call them, it's not, you know, coin the nosy neighbor, but call it what it is. People want to know what's going on in their community in the real estate market. That's a little nosy neighbor. Okay. <laughs> I try to be nice. Just a, t a small bit. I just think it's interesting to see the differences in houses and how, I mean, it's it's the comparison thing. What I, I always want to know, what's my home worth? I think most people want to know what's the largest asset in their life worth. And the best way to, to understand that is to compare a, a nearby home. And, Absolutely. And also when I'm going to the properties, whether it be open houses, I'm just going to follow up with my clients and see what's going on, go over, you know, if we're going to switch up marketing, if we've got when we get offers, hopefully we have multiple offers, they're going to see my car, they're going to see me, and I don't want them to think that 
you know, I'm just coming in and either if it's their good friends, I'm the one that's making them lose their friends or, you know, what it be. I want them to feel comfortable if they see me in and out that I'm not some stranger, that they know who I am. I think it's a brilliant plan. You mentioned an open house in Cayucas. Is that, are you doing that? This weekend? Yeah, I have an open house at 3193 Shearer tomorrow from 12 to 2, and then it's going to be open next Friday before the 4th of July from 3 to 5, and then again next Sunday from 12 to 2. Shearer, that's right on the ocean? Yeah, just up above the highway, about okay. a few streets up. So it's got fantastic views from Tell the master us a bedroom. About the house. It is about 1,500 square feet. The views are phenomenal from the living area, from the master bedroom, the guest bedroom, and it is clean as can be, listed at 749, three bedroom, two bath. Nice. Hmm. Any updates or is it, how old is the home? Home is built in 1980 and it's not really updated, but it is so clean. The owners have owned this property for 25 years and have maintained it meticulously. Sounds like a nice nice place. Really nice. I've had great feedback from it. I've had that one. I had tons of neighbors come through. All of them spoke extremely highly of the house and it's got great neighborhood, great neighbors. All the houses in the area are in good condition and what's really great about this one is the houses in front of it are not going to be there they've already been updated and so they're not going to go two stories so you will not lose your view Hmm. or at least for a long time i guess does it have a yard it actually does have a backyard which is a unique uh characteristic of this house it has a small little private backyard which a lot of those houses because it sits up right against open space in the hill it Hmm. does have a backyard and it's private nice who do you think is the buyer for this house? Is this a second home or is this someone who wants to occupy it? And... Most of the people that have looked at, at it are second home buyers. Yeah, um, my clients are looking to relocate to something single level. It is multi-level, but um, a lot of the neighbors in the area are second home are second homeowners. Okay. We had a question uh, from a listener. Can you guys uh, define what a stick house is? What, what do they mean? When a they stick say built stick, home? Stick house, yes. Stick built home is just your traditional traditional home built with lumber and. Yeah, it's, you know. it's either two by four, or two by six construction, green plate to a, to a foundation. Usually when you're talking about a stick built home, they're saying either a stick built or a manufactured home. Yeah, it differentiates it from manufactured or modular type. Yeah. Housing. And, you know, there's actually more and more of those. Modular was kind of, everybody would talk about it, but there was a couple in the county, but they seem to be getting more and more popular, whether they're log cabin modular type homes or SIPs panels and stuff like that. But like you said, stick built's just your standard build. Yeah. I think uh, that should answer it. All right. Um, let's see here. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and just talk about some general market conditions. You mentioned, um, you mentioned, it sounds like there's a well-priced home on the market. There's a lot of people who are, who are after that property up to 12 offers on a it home. It is. I went against one that was 12 offers and we went over asking and I explained to my client that they're either going to usually go with the top two or three to counter because you can't counter 12 offers. That's just crazy. Um, So usually what we would do as from a listing agent standpoint, we usually pick the top two or three to go with, counter those, 
and then pick the, the top one that we decide and usually put one as a backup offer. I was explaining to my client who's a first-time home buyer, we, our goal is to get into that top three. If we don't get into that top three and they don't counter anyone but one, there is one offer that is so far out there we cannot compete with and or we don't necessarily want to go that high. So I was explaining to him, let's see what we can do at least to get into the top three. Come to find out they countered one offer oh. and I ex- exactly and so I called him to explain that we didn't get a counter and it was when I as of the latter of of our conversation there was one offer that was extremely out there that the sellers just didn't want to lose so it's very important in this market to have an agent if you are a buyer that is going to represent you and work hard for you and when you go to sell a house, it's very common to interview two to three agents to have your listing. And I think in this market, buyers need to understand it is very, it's just as important to have a good agent representing you to do the best that they can to get you that house when it's so competitive. So you may know a bunch of agents, but talk to them, interview them. What are they doing this part-time? Are they doing this full-time? What are they going to do different as a buyer's agent to get you the property if you're going up against multiple offers? And quite frankly, that's one of the reasons why we like to have agents like yourself on this show. It gives you an opportunity to let people get to know you a little bit and see Mm -hmm. if you're the right fit for them. Well, I I would love to talk with anyone if they're looking to buy a property. But more than anything, it's really take the time to find an agent who is going to represent you in the capacity that you deserve to be represented. You mean you don't just pick your friend who's a a realtor? Some people do. (laughs) Many people do. But really make sure you're going to pick someone, whether it's a friend or it's someone that you have heard of, worked with, your friend has was represented by them and they did a great job. Take the time to find the agent that is going to work for you. And not only that, is also a good fit for you. Personality-wise, sometimes... You know, you don't want the hand-holding and you want someone that's going to just get in there and just get it done. And sometimes you need someone that's going to be a little bit more of a hand-holder, especially with first-time homebuyers. I have one right now that we just got into contract on. He has asked so many questions, and I absolutely love it. He And questions that first-time homebuyers don't normally ask. And so I appreciate that. I definitely do come at me with anything that you don't understand you want to know I mean he's going everything from what's the difference between this title company to that title company to you know just steps and processes that we're gonna go through in day 29 when we're at day one but the first thing I do is I give them a timeline they have a copy of the contract they have the escrow officers information they have my information they've got Uh, Every single timeline that has to do with that contract, they know, okay, I've got three days before this is supposed to happen instead of, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And then they freak out. Mm. I don't want freak outs. (laughs) None of us do. That's not fun. It happens in lending too. You've really got to set that expectation of what's going to occur and when it's going to occur. And there are buyers that you need to do that with even more so than others, but Undoubtedly, in the first-time home buyer, you really got to walk your way through. You can't see it on the radio, but I can tell you definitively that uh, Susie means what she's saying. 
I think that she really would represent somebody. She's pounding on the desk and she, I talk she with had, my hands a lot. <laughs> she, she, she's really emotional about what she's talking about. So I would have to say that if you need somebody to negotiate for you, you, you may want to chat with her. Yeah, I, I got the feeling yesterday that Susie's the kind of person that doesn't stop talking about real estate when the five o'clock hour hits. I no. kind of doubt a, it. She, this, is a, this is a passion, very enthusiastic, and, um, and you are a full-time Full time in this business. I in am. Case that wasn't I clear. eat, breathe, sleep this. <laughs> right. um, but I, I love it. I and I don't consider it a job. It's a lifestyle for me. Yeah, nice. I'm curious in these multiple offer situations. I mean, are we talking offers that are going well above list price? Is this is is that what's happening, or are we just? Are, is it just very competitive, but the list price is the fair market value of the home? It, that's a very good question. It depends. Um, there's some agents that will price the properties at market just under to get, let's call it a bidding war. And there yep. are some, which is shocking to me, but they've been sitting for three months and all of a sudden there's three offers on it. But that's because there's properties that n people have stopped paying attention to that are coming back around because take it that someone all of a sudden they want to take advantage of the rates and maybe it's not the ideal house for them but they're really compromising to get in to purchase a property they're tired of renting they're moving to the area they don't want to find a rental they want to buy something want they want that pride of ownership and you know looking finding the properties that are diamond in the rough some people don't have the means to do work on the houses and that's one thing and other people let's you know, let's bring your budget down and let's factor in the difference in how can we remodel the house that's going to suit your needs. So something that's been sitting for a little while and then all of a sudden gets multiple offers, that has me thinking, is there, is it a practice in for a realtor when they get one offer, like a listing agent, when they get one offer to alert the realtor community that, hey, I've got an offer coming in that if if you've got anyone who's even remotely interested, now is the time to get an offer in. Is that is that something that goes Not on? Not really. Um, some agents try to use some offers to shop. We call it shop offers uh, to they shop the offer. In other words, try to get the hype around it to bid it up. When you've got people that let's say someone showed the showed the listing a buyer's agent showed a buyer and then another agent came in with another buyer and the first agent said you know it, it may work for them we, we may keep looking well after this after you get the offer you may call that agent back and say just so you know if your clients are interested we do have, we do have an offer create a sense of urgency yeah and in this market usually there is urgency oh for not sure. on everything but on a lot of the good stuff that's coming up oh for sure do you see any sense of urgency created by the fear of the rates rising? Yes, that's starting to be a, there's a lot more talk within that, with it, at least within the realtor community and dealing with lenders and just yeah. seeing, doing the numbers. If the rates go up, you're probably not going to be able to afford as much house. And so it is good to take advantage of this time. Yeah, you know, it's tough for us because we sit all day doing loans and we have the financial channel on and we hear about this stuff all the time, but it's always, I'm always curious whether everybody else walking around has, you know, that same information and they're feeling like maybe the rates are going to go up. So maybe I need to go out there right now and buy a house. So. It's, it's good to, to be on top of it. And I, I don't want to say require, but I really encourage 
my clients to talk with the lender first because they are going to dictate how we are going to proceed. Oh, undoubtedly. And there's a lot of buyers that don't understand the importance, especially if there's a property that comes up and they haven't talked to a lender, they don't know if they can afford it. Let's say we get the offer out of however many offers, then all of a sudden they can't afford it. It's, It's frustrating for them. It's frustrating for the listing agent. And... If there are, if there's a lot of interest in a specific listing, I want to put their offer out and make it look as strong as possible, then I need a pre-approval or a pre-qual letter. No, absolutely. And I'll tell you from our end, the volatility is obviously a source of a little bit of stress as well. And I would tell people to get in earlier. The earlier, the better. If you're thinking Mm -hmm. about doing it, get the, you know, get in, get the package set up so that we can start to monitor the market. It is up and down, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show. And you got to kind of watch it. What you can do Monday, you may not be able to do Tuesday. Well, and I think the getting the pre-qualification process started sooner allows us to address any credit issues or income qualification issues earlier on <laughs> so that when you're actually out shopping for a home, we're really down to just property issues and we can act quicker whether it be a rate lock or just closing quicker if it's competitive maybe you make a shorter escrow you know a shorter timeline offer that makes you more competitive there's a lot of you just have more ability to be nimble and and close and and there's just less questions it's a stressful process to begin with so to address potential issues as soon as you can just makes for a Exactly. A more enjoyable process. Yeah, don't make it like cramming for an exam. I feel like there's. <laughs> you get would you earlier. agree? There's there's two types of buyers. Um, there's people who are when it comes to income qualification. There's people who aren't even close. I mean, they qualify so easily, but it's up to them what they feel comfortable paying each month for housing. And then there's the people that we're like, nope, this is your max. You can't go over. Oh, absolutely. Your max is three hundred. You can't do three ten. Three hundred's it. Yeah, and, and that second group are the ones that... Those are the ones that are really impacted by the rate volatility. Yeah, the, the stress is huge when the rates are so volatile for those folks. And, you know, I feel it too. I feel like I take on their anxiety waiting, you know, to try to get them locked and make sure that they're good. But And you want them to enjoy the process oh, and absolutely. not freak out. When I bought my first house after being in real estate for four years, I was a mess. And that was, I learned my lesson on representing my own self. Won't do that again. <laughs> um, that was just silly. Um, so, you know, you want them to enjoy it. So getting as much of this work done ahead of time will help ease them and really, like I said, enjoy the process of buying a property. And- it should be exciting, not stressful. Oh, no, and I'm totally with you. And we we do our best to take on as much of that as possible. But in the, in the times when the market's so volatile, you've got to watch that second group. That mm-hmm. second group is something that needs constant monitoring. And if you feel like you're within that second group, come in early. Yeah, definitely. We, we had, had a caller call. that, yeah, she wanted me to ask the question off the air. And I think we already kind of addressed this, but uh, we could repeat it. Um, the cost uh, per bedroom for rent right now the average is about a thousand dollars about a thousand and, and that bedroom. will that will fluctuate but location wise so, so if you're going to cal poly it's going to be about a thousand dollars but if you're like out on broad street towards you're probably going to be closer to let's say 800 and a lot of times so like a three bedroom may range anywhere from 23 2400 up to 
3200 and then a four bedroom is going to go i mean it's a big gap so it really kind of depends but over by the campus you're looking more towards the thousand a bedroom okay and so the the variables in that are the overall square footage of the home because a three bedroom 1200 square foot home is a lot different than a three bedroom 1800 square foot home correct and then also the quality of the, the quality home the maintenance is huge quality. and so that's why when people own properties that they have moved and they decide to rent or they bought it as an investment property keeping the quality up is overall better for the property based on the quality of tenants the quality and the amount of money you're going to bring in and just the the lifespan of the home and how long you can actually you know you keep it maintained it's gonna upkeep a lot better in the long run and then if they ever go to sell it they're going to make more money in the back end is it a wise decision to own an investment property do you think i mean given the wear and tear but the rents you can receive the prices of homes, I mean, it sounds like things right around Cal Poly are upwards of $700,000. Things maybe down Foothill a little more, those I've seen in the neighborhood of five fifty to 600000 Do those numbers, um, do, does, it, does the math work out that this is a, a good investment? With 25% down, the numbers usually do work out. I mean, and then if you're looking, if you didn't want to be in San Luis and you wanted to buy something in South County, or you wanted to buy something in North County, it's much more affordable. And the key to that is finding the right tenants for the property. That is the most important factor is finding tenants that are going to take care of the property and also monitor the property they may seem like great tenants and all of a sudden they've looks like a hoarder lives in the house and it, they just don't maintain the house so yeah. making sure you have communication with the tenant and just you know make sure the smoke detectors are working make sure the carbons are you know go in twice a year and and keep up to date on your property it's not the biggest misconception is people can buy a house, forget about it, and make rent and make money. That is not the case. Absolutely. You have to be involved. We have to remember that you're ultimately responsible for the property. Correct. As, as the, the landlord. Yeah. As the landlord. Correct. So if there's issues on the property, you need to address them, whether it be for the renter or somebody that just happens to be walking up the sidewalk to the front door. Yeah. You know. I will say this though, going back to like when I started doing loans till now, and granted San Luis is a little bit different in that, you know, you're, you're renting by the room, you're getting a higher rate of, of rent. Um, but it didn't used to be you come in with a standard down payment and you're cash flowing from day one. Correct. It used to be about a five to seven year gap before you could even anticipate, Hey, you know what, this is going to actually pay for itself. So. To answer the question whether or not it makes more sense to buy rentals now than it, you know, it definitely does than it used to. We'll see after the Fannie Mae hits if that holds, but it seems like at least here in mm -hmm. slow it's going to. The North County, yes, it's less. You're getting less rents. But the home prices but are But the low. home prices are That's less. what I'm saying. The relative. home prices are less. You're getting less rents. It still is cash flowing so quickly. Um, I have people walk in all the time. I do loans. I have people walk in all the time looking for rentals up there. Yeah, it, it's I think the inventory shortage is also on that side and and being, you know, talking with your accountant, talking with your financial advisor is definitely an important factor in the decision to buy rental property. What's the short term goal? What's the long term goal? Because mm -hmm. there are a lot of incentives to buy. Rental property. 
Yeah. But it just depends on the specific buyer and client. I I actually brought a statistic in today. My computer won't turn on, but I, luckily I remember it. Um, the national occupancy rate for um, for apartments, and I assume that this can translate towards single family homes as well. But apartments is up is above ninety five percent occupancy. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that the occupancy rate in Especially around the the Cal Poly campus is probably darn near a hundred. Oh yeah, it's, it's it's a matter of the two week turnover. Yeah, that's your vacancy factor. So it's um you're never gonna have a vacancy issue. No, no, and you know it's it's countywide really right now. It's not just San Luis Obispo. We've seen the multifamily for purchasers. There is a there's almost demand. nothing on the market for multifamily. That is a animal that i am struggling to find yeah because i've got clients wanting that multifamily left and right yeah those there's very few listings available mm-hmm. um i know as far as rents go outside of the san luis obispo area um we had a caller not too long ago talk about rental um they own a rental in atascadero and they put that thing on craigslist and had 25 plus people applying for that yep. in a short period of time. So it's definitely not limited to a, a Cal Poly not campus area issue. It's, it is countywide, like you said. No, that's not what I, you get that's not what I was yeah, saying. Yeah, no, I'm I, saying it, it uh, kind of mass out all over the county. I'm agreeing with yeah. you, okay. definitely. Okay, okay. All right, we are coming towards the end of the show here, so I want to make sure we have enough time to thank Susie that you're taking time out of your Saturday. I know there's probably things you'd rather be doing than... Stuff oh, here in this the has been lovely. This is it, right? This is your. This is number one on your list. Um, so again, Susie is a real, realtor at Richardson Properties. Why don't you tell people how to get a hold of you? You can reach me on my cell phone, and that is 805-550-8833, or via email, Susie, S-U-S-I-E, at richardsonproperties.com. And as I hope you have learned today, Susie, she's, she knows a lot just to about real estate in general, but also about managing rental properties and everything that goes along with, with rental properties. So if you have needs in either area, she's a, she's a wealth of knowledge. And again, she is a full-time real estate agent who eats, sleeps, and breathes real estate. <laughs> she's definitely enthusiastic about it. Will, thanks so much for joining me and not abandoning me here. That was my pleasure. All Always right. have a good time. I like, uh, like having you on. Um, Will, if anyone's interested in getting pre-qualified for a loan, how can they get a hold of you? 805-771-9870, extension 210. Look at you using the old Central Coast lending number. Well, I mean, we still have it. It's just that's the one I remember. Oh, five four three loan. How can you forget? There's a eight, song. One that goes eight with oh, it. oh the song. Don't don't sing the song. All right. Eight oh five five four three loan or will w i l l at centralcoastlending.com. All right. Thanks, folks, for tuning in to this episode of Mortgage Matters. And have a fabulous Fourth uh, of July weekend. Be safe. Enjoy time with your friends and family. If you need any loan help, uh, check out centralcoastlending.com. You can apply online. Or call us at 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We'll see you next time.